0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando.
1: This morning's scripture comes from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
0: So just last week, uh, we started a new series during our sermon time. Um, We're studying some of the unique passages in the Gospel of, uh, of Luke. And so by unique, Uh, we mean this, uh, a passage um, on a portion of Jesus's story that none of the other three gospel writers decided to record in their accounts of Jesus's life. Uh, So like last week, I likened it uh, to four journalists uh, attending the Olympic opening ceremonies. And those four journalists being from four uh, different parts of the world and their articles on that event would be unified, uh, but they would also be very unique. Uh, They'd be unified in that they were reporting the same event, but they would be unique because each individual journal, journalist, excuse me, is writing to four unique audiences, and, and by definition, by necessity, they had to be selective in which part of the event they they reported. And so, if that's true of the opening ceremonies that lasted a few hours, how how much more true is it of those telling the story of Jesus's life, uh, a, a beautiful and wonderful life? And so for uh, an example of unique, I'll just use our own passage this morning. Luke's not the only gospel writer that talks about uh, Jesus putting a call on the life of Peter and and James and John John and Andrew. He's not the only one who presents that call, but he's the only one that tells the story about what was going on in in Peter's life when the call was made. And, And so... With that in mind about the series itself, with that in mind about the story we're looking at this morning, I only have two points, okay? Pray for me to go to India more often. Two points, uh, not four. Uh, we're going to look at the call in Peter's life, night and day, night and day, and the dawn of that day. The dawn of that day. So, first, night and day. In, in, ver- in, in 11 verses, like if you just look at uh, the insert in, in your worship folder. Just look at the text. Those 11 verses, they represent a few minutes, uh, may, maybe an hour. And in those 11 verses, in that time, Peter goes from a disinterested bystander of Jesus to a completely and utterly committed disciple. It might actually be an overstatement to say that he was a disinterested bystander. Bystander assumes that you're there, you're watching, but you're not intimately involved with what's going on. This is not necessarily the case. So if you look at verses 1 through 3, Luke presents a significant contrast between this crowd and what one would expect a human being to do and Peter. So Peter is in close proximity to this crowd that is pressing in on Jesus, but he's rather aloof to it all. Verse one, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And so Luke uses this word for crowd and in his gospel, uh, this is the word he uses for thousands of people. So Jesus had started his ministry in chapter four and he had uh, uh, taught in such a glorious and authoritative way. People were just clamoring to hear more. And it says that Jesus was healing uh, all sorts of infirmities and that he was casting out uh, demons that were demonizing people. And he had this significant crowd following him around. And and so if you look, the text says that the crowd is pressing in on him. It's literally they were lying on him. And one of the words that's going to keep popping up in our sermon today is the word caught. Jesus is caught, if you will, between a mob and the sea. So like think Justin Bieber like a citywide middle school dance, okay, <laughs> of all the girls' schools in Orlando, okay? So, so he had to get into a boat to get away from this mob so that he could keep teaching them. And so in looking for a boat, he sees two. And, and Luke tells us that the fishermen, they were just washing their nets and repairing their nets. They're disinterested bystanders. P- Peter was close enough to see uh, what was going on, but he was too busy with his life to engage it. He was right there as Jesus was teaching on the gospel, but too busy with the defeat of that day to hear it, but night and day. At the end of the story, if you look down at verse 11, you you see Peter leaving that life that preoccupied him in verses one through three. He, He leaves that life so that he can be with Jesus and go with Jesus as Jesus continues on in teaching and healing. Verse 11, a radical change. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So the gospel writer Mark, as I said, he does tell us about this account. He just doesn't tell us the story surrounding the account. And he tells us that in addition to two boatloads of fish, the everything that Peter and James and John and Andrew, the everything they left behind at least includes their father and their father's business. We're talking in this culture about a radical change in trajectory. So the concept of following Jesus, this is the definition of discipleship in Luke. To no longer be in the lead of one's life, to be in complete submission to King Jesus. The text reminds us that there are no levels of Christianity in the Bible. There are not some who are simply Christians and others who are more committed disciples. That there are not some, according to the Bible, that the Bible invites to include Jesus and compartmentalize Jesus in their lives, but there are others who need a more radical and total following of Jesus. Night and day difference. So Peter had included Jesus in his life. He was willing to get into the boat with him in verse three, but at the end of the story, Jesus was his life and everything had to go in light of that. We, in general, in our time and place, we, we have taken this, the, the sayings of Jesus on discipleship and Christianity, and, and we have watered them down, and we have significantly diluted the concept of a life given to Jesus in radical service. We will say, oh, Jesus, he would employ hyperbole. Oh, Jesus, he loved to exaggerate, although... Jesus would say these things over and over and over about one's life to where you begin to wonder if he forgot he was exaggerating. As time goes by in this series, we're going to give more thought to these, but just listen to a few of the sentences that Jesus gives for defining discipleship. This is the norm of anyone who follows him. Listen to the totality of the language. Chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So he's saying, whoever doesn't embrace their death, the death of their life cannot be my disciple. And then he says in chapter 14, verse 33, Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so for those of us who like to include Jesus and compartmentalize Jesus and sprinkle him on our dinner like salt and pepper, this is a little uh, little different, what what he's calling for here. But, But Peter got it. Night and day difference from a disinterested bystander to going all in. I used Justin Bieber for the middle school girls. So now gambling for the older boys, okay? By older, I mean 30, 40, 50. So he, he goes all in. Listen to what Peter said in chapter 18. And Jesus affirmed that this is true. He said, look, Jesus, we've left our homes. That means a lot more to them in that culture than it means to us. We left our homes and we followed you. No longer in control of one's own life in complete and total submission to the King." night and day. So think, secondly, what was the dawn of that day? In other words, what happened to bring about that sort of change? So ironically, again, in the text, Jesus catches Peter. Okay, so the fisherman is caught like a fish, but how? And I think our gut reaction is to say, well, Ted, it's obvious. Jesus showed his miraculous power. Uh, Pardon the pun, he he gave him a boatload of fish. Uh, And so I think if we just kind of walk through the story We'll see if our gut reaction is right. What was it? The miraculous catch that caught Peter. So as we said, verse 3, if you look back in your worship folder, in your insert, Jesus climbs into Peter's boat, and Jesus asks Peter. He actually requests Peter. The King James says he begs Peter, put out a little from the land. And so what was common then is common now, fishermen in the lake of Gennesaret, which is the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, they they would fish all night. They would wash and mend their nets in the morning light, and then they would go home and they would get some sleep. And so Jesus has just asked him or requested of him that he just go out a short distance into the sea and kind of put his life on hold for a second. And then verse four, when Jesus had finished teaching the crowd or the mob, he he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. This time, two commands, no request, put out and let down. And Peter agrees to it. Why he agreed exactly, we don't know for sure. Maybe it was Jesus' popularity, maybe it was just Jesus' authority and presence and command. We don't know exactly why, but, but Peter puts out into the deep, but before he does, he gets a statement on the record. You like to have one thing be known uh, for sure. It's sort of a, a passive aggressive little moment for Peter. Okay. Master. It's a word for like various administrative roles in the Roman empire. Okay. Master, not Lord, master. Uh, we wore ourselves out all night and we captured nothing, but at your word, he's going to be able to say, I told you so, right? At your word, I will let down these nets. We just clean. Verse six, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So in in recent years, archaeologists have discovered uh, fishing boats that they have dated uh, uh, to the time in and around the Roman Empire, boats in this northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And of course, we don't know if they found the same boat uh, of Peter um, or of James and John, but the one they found is is 26 feet long, 7 feet wide, uh, 4 feet deep. So we're talking about at least 400 cubic feet of fish in each boat, okay? The original Greek indicates that there was more fish to bring in, but they couldn't get them in because the boats were sinking. And we say, there it is, Ted. There's the dawn of that day. That is what caught Peter. If God would just show up in my life. And if he would do something like that, I think I would be more apt to to abandon everything and follow him. In fact, I think I would just have to sacrificially follow him and just do whatever he says because if he would just overwhelm my life with that obvious uh, show of divinity, I would follow him like Peter. But Ted, that's a different time and a different place. let's see. Is that what caught Peter? Verse eight, but... When Simon Peter saw the fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Okay, why knees and not feet? A boatload of fish. <laughs> and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. No longer master, no longer white collar office manager, uh, Lord, ultimate being in the universe. How does Peter respond? Is there any way I could hire you? Can we get like some sort of deal going here where you just come out daily and make this happen? I'll give 10% to the church, I promise. Not, can I follow you around? Can I give my life to you? What does he say? Peter commands Jesus, commands him, imperative, get away from me. I am a sinful man. His sinfulness, his self-centeredness, his passive aggressiveness, his selfish pride became so painfully obvious to him in that moment in the obvious presence of God and he fears the holy and just and right punishment of God for his sins and he commands Jesus. It's as if he's saying, if I could go on water, I would be out of here. Get away from me. So, if the great catch of fish isn't what caught Peter, If Jesus' obvious display of power and divinity didn't capture him, what did? So, as I mentioned earlier, I was in India this week working with some of our church planters and and I saw a picture of a painting that I want to show you in a moment. And, And one of the pastors that we're working with um, in New Delhi is actually a very accomplished artist and a, and a well-known artist uh, in Delhi. And, and last year, this, this pastor, his name's Joshua John. Uh, and I don't think we're gonna have any more children, but if we did, that, that would be the name. I like that, it's got a ring to it, Joshua John. Uh, he, he had this solo showing in one of the main galleries in New Delhi. Okay, it was a second solo showing at the preeminent art gallery in Delhi. And so 20 pieces of his were on display and all of them, unlike the first time, depicted major theological concepts. So he decided with this popularity, I'm gonna display theological concepts through my work in hopes of impacting people. And, and, and the first time around, it was wildly popular, successful. The second time around, largely dismissed, largely overlooked by the audience. They, they didn't understand the details deeper truths being displayed. But there was one piece that captivated and captured and caught the audience, if you will. At times, dozens of people stood with drink and hors d'oeuvre in hand, silent, staring at the piece, many with tears in their eyes. And Joshua John was asked over and over and over to describe the deeper meaning of this one piece. And so I want to show you a portion of that painting, go ahead. Would you throw it up there for me? There it is. A man cowering in fear. Not not necessarily a man weeping or lamenting, but a man cowering, covering his head, waiting for the rod to strike. A lot, not just a good bit, but a lot of the power in this painting is lost on our culture. In middle-class America, we are, by and large, told by our parents that we can do anything. That we're smart, and we're creative, and we're talented, and people like us. So they took Saturday Night Live and they just kind of put it on us. Okay, Our parents motivated us, in large part, through creating healthy self-esteem in us. But in Indian culture, parents predominantly raise their children through fear and threat of punishment. From kindergarten on, it's not you can do it, but you better do it. And of course, in the global cities of India, the slums are everywhere. And all the parent has to do is walk their child a few blocks to that reality that their child will experience forever if they fail. So instead of telling them they can do it, they tell them you better do it. If not, you will end up here. But further and deeper than that, the spirituality of India, even in the urban professionals, is a fear-based superstition. There's a general sense that they have done wrong and that they need to continue in whatever superstitious behaviors and rituals they have in place. And if they don't continue on, the divine rod of God, whatever that means, will come crashing down on them. And so this painting captivated and captured and caught scores of people successful men and women uh, uh, who said, listen, that deep down inside of me in my dark and isolated moments, that regardless of my current success, that man right there is me. I totally identify with that man in the painting. And now I've actually tricked you a bit. I said that beginning of the story that I want to show you a portion of the painting and then I let you assume that this is the portion of the painting that captivated people but it's not. The whole picture is what captivated everyone. Can you put that up for me? Person after person said, that man in naked shame and cowering fears me. Expecting one point in my life or another, I'm going to be blasted for my mistakes, my errors, my sins, if you're telling me that what is coming is a feather wafting down and not a swift rod, I want to hear about that. There are converts in a church in New Delhi who saw this painting depicting grace, asked about it, heard the gospel, they converted to following Jesus, which in their culture they left their families behind. What caught them? What was so beautiful and captivating that they gave their lives for it? Not a man cowering in shame and fear at the recognition of the divine, but the message of a personal, merciful, loving God who who meets them in their base fear and he gives them grace and not judgment. He gives them comfort and not pain. He gives them love and not hate. Go back to the text. What actually catches Peter? Peter and convinces him to give his life to following Jesus. It's not a boatload of fish. It's a gracious response to his fear and his shame. Second half of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Simon Peter, uh, stop being fearful. Although you deserve it, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to strike you. I'm not going to unleash my wrath upon you. I'm not going to cast you aside into forgotten oblivion. Peter, stop being fearful. Although you don't deserve it, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to unleash my acceptance and my love on top of you. I'm going to bring you into community, and I'm going to keep you with me forever. As the story unfolds over the next three years, it becomes obvious to Peter and us that Peter didn't get what he deserved because Jesus took what he deserved in his place. It becomes obvious that, that Peter got what he didn't deserve because Jesus gave Peter his place. While Peter was selfish and self-centered, Jesus was selfless and other-centered. While Peter was proud and and, and sinful, Jesus was humble and and righteous. While while Peter uh, was the one who deserved to be whipped, it was Jesus' back that was ripped to shreds so that Peter could be touched by grace. While, While it was Peter who deserved to be shamed, it was Jesus in naked shame, not cowering in fear, but exposed on the cross. When Peter should have been cast away into forgotten oblivion, it was Jesus who was forsaken. His father, who had been with him forever, turned away from him. In 11 verses, Peter goes from not giving Jesus his attention to giving Jesus his very life. P- Peter went from being his own authority to being under the authority of Jesus. Jesus grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and acceptance and power, communion with God. These are incredible realities that can melt the hearts of women and men. I wanna conclude with a few thoughts of application. First, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to what the Bible actually teaches, not what you've heard about it, but what it actually says, You need to know this massive difference between the gospel, which is the story of Jesus, which is the story of the Bible. There's a massive difference between the gospel and every other world religion. Huge difference. You have to know this. In Christianity, we don't follow Jesus to get him to forgive us. We follow him because he died so that he could forgive us. We don't commit and sacrifice in order to be loved by God. We increasingly commit and sacrifice because God loved us when we were completely oblivious to him. But can you see that the only logical, human, rational response is to follow him? and give him our very lives. If God created us, if he gave us life, if God rescued us by dying in our place, if God knows what's best and what's most satisfying for us, doesn't it make sense to follow Jesus's command and go all in? Not going all in to buy Jesus's love, but going all in because we're already so richly loved. Believer, disciple of Jesus, concluding thought, application. Is anyone besides me tired of being selfish and self-centered? Is anyone with me worn out by how our sins hurt other people? Does anyone besides me desire to live more sacrificially for Jesus? I'm only 37, but as I get older, I increasingly long to be humble and soft and submissive and teachable. And I want to serve others. I don't want to serve myself. But I tell you, I feel like I lack power. I feel like I lack execution. I feel like I lack follow through. If you're like me, fellow disciple, in theory, in theory, we we see the beauty and the freedom and the joy of living a life of reckless abandonment and service to Jesus and others. But in reality, I, I see a proud and selfish life. The constant teaching of Scripture is this, the power for following Jesus comes from seeing and experiencing His love and His grace and His acceptance regardless of how well we follow Him. We're not empowered in discipleship by committing ourselves to it and believing we can do it if we really try. We are not empowered for discipleship by cowering in fear. We're empowered by bending the knee in repentance, standing in faith and committing yet again to follow Jesus. Let's do that now. Most gracious God and heavenly father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that that Jesus, your life was so beautiful and so captivating. Your grace was so arresting. Your death for us was so freeing. We praise you, Jesus, that regardless of how we're doing or how we behave or how we measure up, you have died for your own. Your own are righteous in you, loved and enjoyed by the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for my friends who are trying to figure this out. Jesus, let them see you. Let their minds understand you and their hearts love you and their feet be swift to follow you. Make a night and day difference in their lives. God, for those of us who have been trying to follow you for a long time, would you please motivate us by your gospel? Would you please free us from trying to to love you and earn your approval? Would you release us in the approval that you've already given to us? Would you take us into a sacrificial life of joy and freedom, serving you and others? We want to be different. We're dependent upon